Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dawson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On today's edition, the reverberations right across European football of the war. Also, Pochettino's half-century. Does he need a Paris scope to see him through the next half? You guys saw what I did there, yeah? Good, good. <laughs> and in the virtually one-horse title race that is the Bundesliga, do you blame Bayern or do you blame the also-rans? Let's kick off with the reverberations of the uh, war in Ukraine on football. Miguel, you've written a brilliant piece in The Independent just about the repercussions, and it's going to be profound all across Europe, is it not? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, any discussion should be prefaced with the acknowledgement that none of this actually matters compared to um, what's really going on in Ukraine and and even to Russian people uh, because they're not responsible for the actions of their state. Uh, but it, it just as it's changing the world, uh, this uh, invasion is changing football, and we've already seen huge repercussions, which is which is going to influence um, the the top end of the game and, and really beyond. Uh, where Roman Abramovich has already announced his sale, or sorry, that he intends to sell. Uh, so that that alone it leaves we we're into uncertainty about the order of European football, especially because we've become so used to these big English super clubs being the uh, the main gravitational pull. So it's going to be interesting as as regards what next. We'll also, I suppose, potentially taking a potential buyer away from another, from another club uh, across Europe. Um, but of course, the, the biggest consequence really is what's going to happen with the women's Euros and above all, the, uh, the World Cup, given... Russia have been banished by UEFA and FIFA. And I suppose we can get into the actual merits of that, given again, we expect them to go to CAS. And one of the arguments would be that, again, they're not responsible for the uh, for their state and it's unfairly punishing, punishing footballers and athletes. So that's going to lead to 
<laughs> it could be a huge headache. Now, UEFA, if it does go to CAS, UEFA are confident. I think they can overturn or they can they can get the ban um, upheld because of the exact wording they they've got about games being played in a spirit of peace. And similar applies to FIFA. But if they don't, we've all got a potentially a real headache because the stance from so many federations now is they're just not going to play Russia, which obviously gives you FIFA, before anything, a huge decision for the uh, World Cup playoffs, which are in three weeks' time, because Russia were due to play Poland in Russia. They've obviously been, with the winners of that, to take on uh, Czech Republic or Sweden. So they've even got a decision there. Uh, but if it is overturned, then we're into a whole... Now, I do wonder if it's overturned, I wonder will we see a softening of some team sanctions because of the fact, look, we've made our stand. There is the fair argument that it's unfair to punish players. Um, but there is a precedence uh, to this, game back to the Balkans the, war, of see, course. What, what, what's interesting about that is, and where there is grounds for dispute, I suppose, from the Russian side is, there were two precedents for say. One was Yugoslavia '92. One was apartheid South Africa. But that, that I mean, say in the case of Yugoslavia '92, UEFA only acted after there was um, I, I, I can't remember the exact um, atrocity. I can't remember the exact uh, legal framework. But basically, it was beyond sport that sanctions were taken to exclude them from sport, essentially to exclude them from uh, the international framework as we're seeing in Russia now. So basically bigger bodies in UA, I think it was a UN resolution. I'd need to check the exact details of that. But anyway, bigger bigger um, institutions had taken the decisions that made, that made it easier for uh, sporting federations to follow on. And that's what we really saw in the aftermath of of, of the coronavirus outbreak, yeah. wasn't it? The, the, the fact that um, rather than football leading the way, football was backed into a corner where it had no other choice. And that's been enacted in a slightly different way here because... Mm. Um, it was the Polish FA and the Polish team led initially by Kamil Glick and then Robert Lewandowski who stood up and said, we will not play Russia. And then they were followed by Sweden and the Czechs would have followed if, 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 if FIFA hadn't stepped in. I guess people who see generally the fact that the wheels of change within football roll so slowly um, will be a little frustrated that it's, it's clear that they can move a little bit faster when, when they yeah. want to. Um, the other aspect of this, and when you talked about Abramovich and, and, and Chelsea there, the other club that are being looked at at the moment in the top table of European football context, are Monaco, who, who are owned by Russian, Dmitry Rubovalev, and um, have been for, well, a decade now. Um, he is saying, well, look, you know, I've not been living in Russia for 30 years. I've been, I've been living in Monte Carlo for the last 30 years. I, I shouldn't be subject to this. Monaco are privately a little concerned at, 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 at the very least. But what I don't want us to do is get caught up so much on the Russia side of this because, of, of course, mm-hmm. because of Russia's exclusion, we're mainly talking about Russia. Yeah. Whereas, you know, as you said at the start, Miguel, Ukraine is the country that's being attacked. Re- Ukraine is the country that needs the world's care and attention. And in football terms, because everything's just 
juddered to a halt through necessity yeah. there. Of course, initially the Ukrainian Premier League was suspended for yeah. 30 days. And because, I mean, it, it felt bizarre to me the fact that, you know, you had a, a virtually full Russian Premier League program last mm. weekend. You had a Moscow derby last Saturday tea time, for, for, for goodness sake. It's, 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 it's remarkable. But I think because in terms of what's actually happening with Ukrainian sport, it's, it's, it's clear there's one answer to that and it's, it's just all stopped. Yeah. I, I think we can get away with focusing on the sanctions applied to Russia. We can get away through everything that Ukrainian, Ukraine is suffering in a sporting sense. Of course, what is suffering in a human sense is, is, is far more profound and important, as Miguel said at the top. But... Of course, Shakhtar Ukraine Donetsk, is... though. Shakhtar Donetsk has been caught up in this again for the yeah. second time in eight years, for goodness sake. Well, the, yeah, no, not not only them, of, of, of course, yeah. but um, no, of they're, course. They're, they're, the, they're the highest profile club in modern Ukrainian football. And as you said, um, that they went through this before with Euromaidan and all the violence around Donetsk and the, the, the Donbass region. And I remember I, I went and did a film out there for the, the, the Guardian a, a year or so afterwards. And um, I remember speaking to Dario Cerner, of course, played there for uh, over a decade, captain, coach, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's one of the things that can bring home the extent of of suffering of normal Ukrainian people because Cerner was saying, you know, when they were told they had to, they had to leave uh, Donetsk uh, and, and, and get out. Of course, uh, Rina Akhmatov, their billionaire owner, owns a, a large hotel, the, the Hotel Opera in um, Kiev. So, so, so they all decamped to Kiev and um, sort of worked out of there and they lived they lived in the hotel and, and, and trained in So in they haven't Kiev. played in their own home for since 2014. Seven, eight years, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But the... The thing that really struck me is is Cerner saying, you know, he got his wife and his child and they just left. So as far as he knows, he's never been back. Clothes still in the wardrobe, car in the drive. And the fact that you just walk and leave it all behind you, I, I think that's quite a stark image. It was a stark image for me. It's a stark image for a lot of other people. And you think they're the protected and privileged ones as well. So what is it like for everyone else? Of course, we've seen some of that on our TV screens. And now this is happening to not only again to Shakhtar players, but it's happening to players all over Ukraine. Now, of course, we've seen the stories of quite a lot of high profile Brazilians and all, all, all the foreign players basically have, Stranded. have, have just, well, they've, they've well, eventually they've, got to leave. Yeah. They've uh, eventually got to leave. We saw uh, Paulo Fonseca, the former Roma coach and the former Shakhtar coach. Um, he went back to collect his wife, who's Ukrainian and their child from uh, Kiev and um, eventually got out, helped by the Portuguese embassy via, via bus, via Romania. And they're back in Portugal now. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's a profound difficulty for Ukraine's football players. I mean, as well, just on that as well. I mean, and I suppose it's with all these situations as well. I mean, it's I suppose it's, it's human nature, selfish human nature. It's it's often impossible not to relate to these things because of your personal experience. And like throughout all this, there's always there's been the especially in relation to stuff like the bands, there's been relation, there's been all arguments like, 
what about Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Yemen? Uh, what about Israel? Mm. What about even the the, U, the US and and um, and UK and Iraq and 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 the suffering in the Middle East? But I suppose uh, one reason it's it's so much more profound an issue now than those awful conflicts that obviously deserve the, the, uh, similar attention. Mm. One reason is actually, I mean, it's cultural proximity and geographical proximity. Um, Absolutely. But, um, but part of the cultural proximity is actually football. I mean, so many people, so many more people, mm. it, this is a basic truth, but so many more people know Ukraine because of the football team, is because of Andrei Shevchenko. If mm. you went out into the street, I think Jonathan Wilson made this point in a separate podcast, but if you went out to the street and asked random people um, of certain countries who they'd know from that country, a lot of them would be footballers. Mm. And, and obviously with Dynamo Kiev, given that they were, uh, only 20 years ago they were one of Europe's best sides. And even in relation to kind of some of the images, of, like the appalling images of conflict, like, uh, say, a, a lot of people would have been in Kharkiv, Kharkiv for the Euros. Uh, like, myself, it's less than four years since it was in the since Kiev for the Champions League final. Mm. I haven't been there for the Euro 2012 final. And it's actually impossible to relate to kind of the, the peacefulness or the kind of the carnival atmosphere of a football, a big football occasion mm. with what's happening there now. You know, it's interesting when you hop back to 1992, um, because remember what UEFA did mm. there? They brought in a substitute team to replace Yugoslavia. Mm. And the consequence of that was what? Denmark. Denmark. (laughs) I mean, we know that they're going to have to replace Russia just to make up the numbers, aren't they? Somebody will have to come in. Well, not not necessarily, because we're we're still at the playoff stage. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, uh, I mean, I suppose that's bigger for the women's uh, European Championships, where Russia were due to play all their group games in Lee. but uh, I, I, I suppose a more um, a more profound question, I think, from all this as well is, is that, and, and this is in relation to kind of the the arguments about why football is so looking at Ukraine and compared to other conflicts. What this should do is cause a sport, and specifically for us, football, to have a necessary conversation about its relationship with politics, because mm. for too long the sport, and this goes right across Europe, right at the top levels. The view, I mean, they've tried to uh, persist with this fantasy that the two don't mix, and we'll only de- we'll only deal with it when it's impossible. The but, amount of people who say that is yeah, is unbelievable. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I, 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 it was always true, but the nature of European football now means that it's more true than ever because mm. the game has become. I mean, even the fact you're pointing to Monaco being owned by a Russian owner, leave alone, leave alone the debate about the English sides. Uh, the game is so enmeshed in geopolitics now mm. that, it, and especially in a world where so many players are taking the knee, so many debates about that, you, you just can't it's get away from it. Common culture, yeah. as you said. Cavi Moreno bene, Shevchenko nello spazio, va via Shevchenko accelera, salta tutti Shevchenko, cerca la conclusione. I think it's a point for celebration when you reach the grand old age of 50. Uh, I wouldn't know, obviously. (laughs) What? 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 Am I about to be struck down by a bolt of lightning or what? Anyway, Maurizio Pochettino has reached the half century. And there are lots of questions about, well, what has happened to his career, first of all, Andy? And where, where will he go next? It's a weird thing, isn't it? Because when he hits 50, you feel you have to take some sort of stock. He's 
he doesn't give the impression of being 50, does he? Because you still think of him as a, a young coach. His hair is very brown as well. Yeah. I've got quite grey hair now. I'm, I'm like 12 years younger than... Uh, well, I'm the youngest Julia. one here. I've got jet black hair. <laughs> well, he's, he's in Paris and presumably he has access to products. But um, I, I think it's interesting because th- th- there's part of you that thinks of Pochettino as this. And it's partly informed by the sort of football that his teams have played at the top level this young energetic sort of football you think he's younger than he is um also you think a a coach of that sort of aptitude by the time he's 50 you kind of expect him to have won more now part of that of course is due to the jobs he's taken and the jobs he's stayed in and you know he's had that incredible relationship with Espanyol then he was at Southampton for a, a while at Spurs for a, a longer period than is, is, is common in modern close football at Spurs. he got close he, he did he did get close I'm just you know preempting some of the questions that people will ask about him while taking stock I think what's interesting is we already seem to have come to this conclusion of where he is in terms of um, his, his spell at Paris Saint-Germain we feel that it's going to come to an end at the end of this season that has not globally been a success, that it's not been something that suited him or, or fitted him. Not that I think that recent weeks are the reason to completely change our opinion or completely change our outlook on that or to, to erase everything that went on before. But what we've seen is a far more coherent Paris Saint-Germain in, in, in recent weeks. Now, maybe any possible turning point has come a little bit too late but it felt like that Real Madrid performance was a lot of Pochettino yeah which I, I think is, is is quite important uh, that he managed to do that with uh, n- uh, well a, a bit of a little bit of Neymar but, but with Messi and and Mbappe at the the heart of it we felt like we were getting Pochettino brand yeah. PSG and also I think is carried over into some of their domestic games, which is even more interesting in a way. Of course, it'll, it'll only be judged on what happens in the Champions League. But I think when you saw the second half against St Etienne, currently playing very well St Etienne, all of a sudden you had coherent, threatening to be consistent Paris Saint-Germain in domestic football well, as well. It, it felt for the first time like a proper, uh, kind of, um, how to put this, uh, a best possible combination of what PSG are and what Pochettino does um, just to kind of uh, the, the perfect the perfect kind of meeting point in that regard maybe oh. a, a bit potential for more which I have to say I was surprised at given the nature of what PSG are which as everyone knows is a, a circus essentially yeah. um, but it was like I, I was at that game and I went think I, I went kind of almost convincing myself as modest as this Madrid are there's just enough quality there and they've got just enough know-how and that they, they can frustrate PSG maybe do a bit of a number on them because of just how disparate PSG have been but it was it was actually classic Poch in the way they just penned Madrid in they didn't let them out mm. uh, it was really it was really impressive from that regard um, again and maybe it's not a coincidence that that happened with um, <laughs> Neymar not starting and only two of the three stars involved um, it makes it easier, doesn't it? It, do, it does. It, it yeah. does make you wonder what the second leg will be like yeah, if yeah. he's if he's forced to play all three. 
Yeah. What, what, what are the identifying trademarks of a Pochettino game or a Pochettino team? You, you both agreed that, yeah, the, the game against uh, Madrid was a Pochettino game. What, what, the, what was the identifying? The, the press and the energy is, is, is important. What Miguel was saying about penning the opposition in. Yeah. That... And I, I guess you could say, not that Madrid are easy to press, but they're certainly susceptible to that. Certainly when you play with that midfield that they've been playing with for seemingly 400 years. And I think it was interesting that the way that PSG took control of, of, of that tie was just by being quicker, snappier, more athletic in midfield. Having good Verratti definitely helped. I, I think that's a huge part. You know, it's it's a sort of continuing paradox with Paris Saint-Germain that they're heavily reliant on a player that you can't trust to always be there and that athletically despite his body frequently letting him down athletically he's huge mm. uh, you know the volume of his his, his game quite it's apart just... from the passing mm. you know the way he snaps into challenges the way he covers ground it absolutely changes everything for them and that's why they've been forced to stick with him and he's had probably a record number of contract extensions for a, a modern footballer certainly up until the, the, the last couple of years is because no one else can quite do what Verratti does and he's so key he's been key to every PSG side that he's been in since he's been at the club but I think he's particularly key to Pochettino now of course this doesn't necessarily mean a definite sea change because even though Leonardo's been out this week and and, and said well you know, we, we we talk to Pochettino all the time. Uh, you know, we we don't want to go on, on without him. We've never spoken to Zidane or anything like that. Firstly, I think the, the 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 choice of words is important there because just because he hasn't spoken to Zidane doesn't mean yeah. someone else at the club or a representative on behalf of Paris Saint-Germain hasn't spoken to Zidane. It doesn't make any guarantees about the end of the season. And of course, it overlooks the fact that Leonardo doesn't have quite the luster on him that he did before. And so the decision... You that with Pochettino as well. well. He doesn't have quite the luster. Yeah, but the, the, the difference is, in terms of PSG making decisions, mm. a lot of what's going on, I think now, is above the head of Leonardo. Yeah. And, and it's... it's what he says and what is the truth of the direction in which a club are moving are two different things. There's an interesting one there as well in that, from speaking to a lot of people in the last month, especially when I was at that game and had to... Um, and all, just trying to do pieces and kind of the very strands around it. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in Pochettino again. Florentino um, Perez, who went cool on Pochettino for years and really wanted him after playing uh, Pochettino's Spurs, he was suddenly transfixed again and he was he was furious at how An- Ancelotti set up for the match so defensively. Manchester United obviously have this long-standing interest, although they don't know for certain what they want. But, just, just Sorry, just to interject, what could... Ancelotti have done differently. I know. I, yeah, you, you play on a halfway line. You could lose four 0 Yeah, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I, I do. But then this is this is Perez who doesn't necessarily yeah. uh, comprehend football on that kind of deeper level. He likes stars and glossy things. That's uh, true. Yeah. becoming glossy again, as is Mappe. Um, <laughs> but um, it was put to me that even though PSG obviously wants Zidane, and part of that is some of that is not just about the, the football identity or Poch Poch's performance. It's also about what they want to be as a kind of a French institution as much as a Qatari one. Mm. Um, but they might well seek to hold Pochettino to his contract until the end, precisely because they don't want to be seen to be bullied. But it's mm. a basically PSG don't lose figures. So I think that's that's an interesting part of the, the uh, 
the dynamic here as well. And there is another narrative to all of this, or at least uh, rumours uh, abroad. Uh, this text from Daniel, by the way, we do welcome uh, your text. Always get in touch on social media anytime during the week uh, at Football Ramble, at Dot Nanny Bio, at Andy Brassel, and at Miguel Delaney. Now, the question from Daniel is, is Poch nailed on for United or is Madrid, uh, Real or Atleti uh, more likely? Good well, question. It's, it's interesting because David Cartledge floated on here a while back that if Atletico go post-Simeone, Pochettino would Perfect be fit. ideal to take Perfect them to fit. the next level. That's what he said. You know, they'd, they'd, you know it builds on the physical emphasis of, of, of that side, but they would end up playing better, more expansive football, which, I mean, there's a lot to happen before Simeone gets to the point that he's, he's, he's at the door. Um, but it's, it's, it's something worth worth bearing in mind. So much could change between now and then. As Miguel said, so much of it is about saving face in relations between top clubs as well. I was also going to say, going backwards a, a, a little bit, that performance against Real Madrid excellent though it was it is one leg and you know what it reminded me of more than anything it reminded me of thinking Unai Emery's absolutely cracked it here when they beat Barcelona 4-0 and we all know what happened <laughs> in the return yeah, of that yeah. but it had that same sort of feeling that was a, a PSG performance that was totally Wait, Emery it, it, and you think they, they understand each other all of a sudden well, I mean and also whatever about between two legs the exact same happened in one game between two halves in last season semi-final mm. in the first half against Manchester City they were absolutely superb look like wow this is, this is remarkable Poch has got it here mm. and then they, they just unravelled again and then were appalling in the second leg so and oh, I suppose we have to watch the musical chairs because Angelotti is also one of those people being touted for the United job. Clearly, if he goes, and then that position becomes available for Pochettino. Is he more likely to go there? And I think this is the nub of the question. Is he more likely to go there or is he more likely to end up at Manchester United? I know uh, your you know opinion is as good as a guess, but nevertheless, what do you think? Well, it's, it's, it's clear United are, are still interested yeah. Uh, but but everything's still up in the air until the end of the season. So much could change. Mm. Um, PSG's opinion on it could change um, because contracts have very little. They could give him a contract extension next week and then sack him three weeks later. Mm. You know that is that is the way they roll. So so much could change. So much could change with the needs of other clubs and possible destinations. Because of course, when you're at this sort of level, not maybe to the same extent as an, an elite player. But there are a relatively small amount of landing spots and it feels like that again. Well, as another 50 once said, or should I say 50, go shorty, it's your <laughs> birthday. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Have you ever wondered what happened to all those space age promises that previous generations thought we'd have by now? You know, heading out for the day on your own personal flying cars or working on a space hotel somewhere in the far reaches of our solar system. Where are all those amazing inventions? Well, we're here to find out more on my new podcast, Where's My Jetpack? I'm Sarah Credis, space expert, TV host and author. Join me and Luke Moore every week as we look into retrofuturistic tech that never was to decide whether it's still just science fiction or if some of these discoveries are actually a lot closer than you think. I think we're very close to that happening on a, an even more regular basis. And what I think is interesting about that, too, is that's going to make the accessibility of getting to space available for more and more people. So if you've ever wondered whether we'll one day speak to aliens light years away or you'll be flying to work on a jetpack, this is the podcast for you. Think of the car parking spaces. They need what to be mean? massive. No, really the wings can fold up. Well, they don't exist. No, some of the cars um, which were designed had wings which folded up. Are you happy getting in a plane knowing the wings fold up? Yeah. I, right. I trust engineering. Trust the science. Search Where's My Jetpack on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Let's talk about the Bundesliga. You know, it's one of those old adages, isn't it? It's a it's a one-team league, at least at the very top. And yet it isn't. We know that for a fact. But the question of the domination of Bayern doesn't go away. Do we blame Bayern for that, for just being in a league of their own? Or do we blame the also-rans for look, not stepping up to the plate to deal with them? I, I, think, you go? I think there's a bit of both, particularly at the moment. And there's a growing sense that there's a, a, a bit of both. But Bayern are always going to have loads more money than everyone else. Um, but I think Bayern are also in a, a unique place at the moment, which we kind of touched on in recent weeks. The fact that they have um, a new directorship upstairs, the fact that we're post Hernis and Rummenigge, um, that Oliver Kahn has got a lot to deal with, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. Of course, we've talked about the fact that Neuer, Lewandowski and Thomas Müller are um, all out of contract in, in 2023. It's a lot for him to deal with. And, and those aren't the only contractual issues that Julian Nagelsmann is just betting himself in. They will hope for the long haul. Um, this should be a moment where you could get at Bayern. Clearly, the competition are nowhere near organised enough. We traditionally look at Dortmund and clearly they have some issues with their model and with mm. senior players that are, are letting them down. They they also have some 
issues upstairs that you've got a new sporting director from the start of next season, Sebastian Kale, who's, who's got a lot to, to deal with. And one of those things that he has to deal with may be to get rid of two big players that you played with in, in Mats Hummels and, and Marco Royce, who are maybe mm. coming towards the end. But we focus so much on Dortmund and especially Dortmund and Bayern that we can forget that there are other huge clubs there. And I think you look at the bottom of the Bundesliga at the moment. This is what I wrote about in The Guardian this week. We've talked about the Bundesliga's fight going into this season. And, you know, you have Hamburg in there. You have Schalke in there. You have Werder Bremen in there. You have some genuine giants, historical giants of of, of German football in there. Actually, not not that historical. If you, if you think about that, you know, Schalke, Champions League semi-finalist in 2011, Werder Bremen, double winner in, in, in 2004. Um, but it could be even more stacked in the second tier next season because you've got Stuttgart, who are currently second from bottom. Hertha, this weekend dropped into the relegation playoff place, third from bottom, and they have spent an extraordinary amount of money comparable with any other big team pretty much in, in European football mm. over the last couple of years. Bruce, you mentioned Gladbach have been struggling, Wolfsburg have been struggling, and they had a really scrappy, very, very exciting game between them, mentioned Gladbach and, and Wolfsburg last week, where they ended up only getting a, a, a point each out of it. And I think this tips quite heavily to to bridge the, bridge the gap between a big club in Germany and Bayern, it needs to be about strategy, about spending smart, about organisation to make the most of what you've got and take advantage of those little bits when Bayern fall short. And that could potentially be one of those times now or maybe next year. They're still rebuilding the defence, but they're nowhere near ready. What is so frustrating about this though, and it's why, I, like, it's why ultimately I just I can't bring myself to actually criticise the clubs. It's because it's because the modern dynamic means there's just no allowance for any mistake. Any any club mm. has to be 100 percent perfect, not just to win, to actually even put in what a challenge within 10 points of Bayern, and that that's just not healthy. Uh, I I must say I remain amazed that for a football culture like Germany's, I know most of that is dependent on more cultural issues around games and kind of and, and the, the fan experience. But I'm just amazed that the response to Bayern's dominance has been so meek and there isn't a huge push to kind of to completely overhaul this, especially in, in, in a country like that. But I think if you want to keep the wolf from the door in terms of preserving the 50 plus one model, in terms of making sure that, you know, investors can't come in and external investors can't come in and buy an entire club, if you're bought into that culture... The best example are Hertha mm-hmm. because they've spent their 400 million euros and they're worse than where they started. And, you know, they've they've tried to approach it initially, at least, in quite an equitable way. It has been very uneven. They've been through various coaches, sporting directors. You know, they've seen off Arne Friedrich. Uh, you've had Freddie Bobic come in and realise that the job as head of sport is way bigger than he thought he would. It was. You had the whole Jurgen Klinsmann era, which was just just absolutely nuts. And they've tried a, a load of different things. But I think that is if you if you're building an example of why external investment isn't going to fix everything, Herter are doing that job for you, really. Whereas if we go back to the last team that wasn't buying, 
to win the league. Well, this was a that was a Dortmund under Jurgen Klopp that was far less moneyed than the current Dortmund. But yeah, you're right, Miguel. You've got to be ready to receive. You've got to be in that position yeah. that where there is the slip, you've got to take advantage of it. And you've seen that in France, for example, with um, Monaco 2017, um, with Lille yeah. last year, with Montpellier going right back to, to, to 2012. Now, that's sort of parodied as the the worst excess of the one-team league, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But actually, that's the one where the cycle has been broken. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's the thing, I mean, you mentioned Klopp's Dortmund there. I mean, that, that previously that could have maybe been put into uh, the older, or actually most of Bundesliga history, which was pretty much always basically Bayern would win two or, three, two or three league titles in a row, the cycle of a team would end, and someone else would get a chance, which was by no means ideal, but there was scope. People, like we, you, Germany has a huge variety of champions in its history. Um, but now, we, and, and the, really the last team of that era was um, uh, the Grafice and Deco team. Uh, the Wolfsburg team. Yeah, Wolfsburg, yeah. Um, Dortmund obviously followed that, but it now seems clear, when you, when you kind of stand back and look at the, the economic tectonic plates of Europe at that point, and how the Champions League ensure that the super, or the super clubs are starting to grow, what actually happened there was that with Dortmund, it wasn't that they were part of the old era of a team suddenly nipping in between a Bayern gap. It was more they had a super genius of a coach, as mm. has become evident. And, and, to, he, and, and even he couldn't sustain that indefinitely. Eventually, uh, <laughs> financial forces overpowered that. Game of the week, gentlemen. Um, I suppose there's a lot to choose from, but let's not forget what we started off saying that there is a war going on. That's more important. Mm. But I think that it is worth the point that you made earlier on, Miguel, about football being a, a, a sort of a cultural link between us. We can go anywhere with this. I'm sure that the games of the week this week will have uh, a, a resonance beyond just the 90 minutes on the pitch. Uh, I was going to go for Real Madrid, Real Sociedad. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no resonance whatsoever, but why not? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't mean that, one, but I'm sure, I'm sure there are resonances. Uh, just because I'm fascinated with everything we've been talking about in relation to Paris Saint-Germain and before Madrid go into this uh, big Champions League game. But also, I suppose, from the Real Sociedad perspective, given that they had been, at the start of the season, a team that looked like they could be a potential upstarts, mm. only to trail away. Um and it would be a jolt of energy for the Spanish league and to for us for Real Sociedad result. And uh, I will have. Um, I'm. I'm actually. I'm. I'm very much on a flexitarian diet at the moment. Since uh, in the new year, mostly through environmental concerns. Um, so I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to eat less meat rather than none. Uh, so I will go for. Um, those um, it's hard, classic, isn't it? classic Spanish anchovies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones <laughs> I was thinking, is wants. there a Beyond Chorizo burger? <laughs> this, uh, this sounds yeah, interesting. I, 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 love, I love chorizo so much that I, I just couldn't go for the kind of Beyond. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, good, good luck with your diet, by the way. And Andy, your game of the week? Um, it's going to be... You're uh, not a veggie now, are you? Saturday... No, not yet. Um, Saturday um, tea time, which is, you know, the best time to enjoy some food with football. Um, Stuttgart versus Borussia Mönchengladbach, because uh, both of these big teams that are are, are really, really struggling. Um, Stuttgart managed to chuck away a lead late on at Hoffenheim last week. Um, Gladbach avoided the worst by coming back from 2-0 down uh, against Wolfsburg. Um, 
Gladbach are gently improving. They can't be confident yet, despite the fact that uh, Marcus Turam actually scored his first of the season mm. uh, last week. Stuttgart are playing better than the results would suggest, but they have um, big injury problems and a very young team. So they need to get some points sooner rather than later. Are you going to eat what with it? Um, I'm thinking if you start now, you could probably prepare some homemade sauerkraut to go with your schnitzel. So, um, How many yeah. days does that take to... It's so crazy. If you start now, to, 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 to do a really good job of it, you need a day and a half to prepare it. It's longer than the football match. Football Ramble presents is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 